Welcome, welcome to the Exchange for the Exchange podcast, where we exchange ideas about current events, pop culture, and theology. And live. we are on air, boys. Okay. You are live. For the record, Josh Pinnell is laughing. Nikolai Carpathia. <laughs> so gentle. Wow. I don't even know what Alex is going to say at this point. Welcome to the Exchange podcast. We're broadcasting live. I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Josh Pinnell and Daniel Lopez. How are you guys doing? Good, man. Just living the dream. Doing great, what Alex. Do doing good? Thanks for uh, waiting for me to answer. How's that vest treating you, buddy? Uh-oh. Don't start. Starting, dude. Well, all start. right. There, it's happening. I am wearing a vest right now. And when I say vest, I mean something you put over your shirt that doesn't have sleeves. You look like the Joker right now with the vest. Oh, the- my God. <laughs> Joker's a classy dresser, man. You, you gotta yeah. give it to him. He dressed for success. Mm. <laughs> mm. He dressed for the job he wanted and not the job he had. Mm. His mm. Sunday best, baby. <laughs> <laughs> One day I'm gonna be the CEO of Crime in Gotham. Did Batman dr- dress for the job he wanted and not the job he had? No, but they dressed for the job that they needed. Uh, Josh, how are you doing? How, what what does what does uh, live in the dream look like on a Monday evening in Louisville? Spending some time reading from Heaven He Came and Sought Her and The King and His Beauty. That's what it looks like. Josh, you are done with school officially, correct? For the semester? That's right, man. I had someone challenge me once. If you want to do extraordinary things, then why are you living like everyone else? Greater is he that is in you, Josh. Mm. He's already extraordinary for you, man. I don't have to be. Relax. Relax a little bit. Wake up. Let the kid cry through your hours, man. I mean, I I did play Batman Arkham City today so <laughs> that wasn't too extraordinary You're awesome man that was legit speaking of letting the kids sleep late i've been waking up uh in the morning and going in the kids room and finding that elam is already downstairs he's like doing little chores like he'll feed the dog that's what my dad does that's awesome speaking of your son coming of age speaking of your son growing up wow are you trying to move this are you trying to move this podcast along i'm just saying that was the perfect segue but that was, was amazing he that was well done, Josh. Alex. Josh, are you making a play for the? Are you making a play for the host job? Like, is that is that like your interview right there? That is my. I mean, my goal is to take over every podcast in the universe. I might as well start with this one, boys. We are going to spend this episode talking about our backgrounds. Throng um, has had questions about how we grew up and huh. uh, what sort of childhood we experienced. What we want to do is talk about our childhood or the awkward formative teen years and then talk a little bit about adulthood and adulting and uh, relating to your parents in the adult phase of your life. So, Daniel, talk to me about little baby Daniel. His growing up years, what what was going on then, man? Well, Alex, I was uh, born in the Dominican Republic under a uh, palm tree. (laughs) I was the second coconut. And uh, I'm a twin. I have an older sister, two years older than me. I was a very poor student as a child. My brother was a piano protege. My parents focused a lot on disciplining him because he had these very natural gifts. And I sort of got lost in school, you know, didn't fail, but didn't do good either because I just didn't think I was smart. I grew up in the fundamental Baptist culture. Uh, My parents joined that culture shortly 
shortly thereafter. Lived mostly in Miami during my childhood. Finished high school in D.C. and went to Wisconsin for college, where I met you guys. And your life changed forever. When did you move to the States? We moved to Puerto Rico when I was six, and that's when we started the residency process. And then we moved to Miami a year after that, and we finished all of our residency uh, paperwork and began our uh, citizenship paperwork then. All right, Josh, tell us about young Josh. Sure, man. I was born in Orlando in a hospital. Wow. I literally just imagined like Mickey Mouse catching you. (laughs) In a hospital contrasting under a palm tree, of course. Oh, of course. Yeah, I spent my childhood in Florida, um, like Daniel and IFB churches, where the gospel that was preached, at least on my level, was very easy believism. I remember one time we had children's church and the director of kids, I'm sure he was very, very well-intentioned, asked if anyone there had never been saved to raise their hand. I raised my hand, went to the back, and a lady just read a prayer and made me say it back. She said she said I was going to heaven, and that was it. King James only, that kind of stuff. We had friends who worked at Disney, so we went to Disney all the time. We lived in Florida uh, for free. I was really into animals and learning and stuff like that. Always, I've always been a bad reader, so it took me a while to start formal education, formal school. Preteen years, we moved up to South Carolina because my dad's job changed, and that was my uh, that was my childhood. Yeah, my childhood was pretty similar to your guys's, you know, minus the whole like moving to a different country and living at Disney World, apparently. Uh, started going to church when my parents became Christians. When I was about four or five, I had a younger brother who was close in age, so we got to hang out a lot, do a lot of just normal boy stuff. Was homeschooled from fourth grade on. Um, let's talk about the teen the teen years, man. What was Daniel like as a teenager? I was pretty plump. I actually weigh the same now that I did in eighth grade, which doesn't mean that I'm skinny now. It means that I was that heavy. I was like a teenager. I had a lot of friends. One of my funny frustrations I can remember during junior high and high school was that I had a lot of friends that were girls, but I never was awesome enough to have a girlfriend because like all the girls just thought I was their friend, which brought a lot of issues for me going into college because I didn't know how to differentiate between like flirting and friendship. That really fuzzed the line for me. You were a victim. It's not your fault. (laughs) (laughs) It's not your fault. Did teenage days attend youth group? Yes. Actually, when we moved to Virginia, Alex, I was in 11th grade and our church had a youth group and our parents were like, why don't you guys, why, like, you guys never have any activities or anything? We did, but we lied to our parents and we said, oh, there's no schedule for it or, oh, they don't really do anything. My dad went and talked to the youth pastor, man. (laughs) And when he found out that not only did they have Sunday school, they passed out tracks on Saturday morning. They had prayer meetings and games on Wednesday. And they had at least one activity a month, one big activity. I was there every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. I was there on Sunday morning at 7 a.m. for bus church as a volunteer. I was there for every prayer meeting. I mean, I became like youth group captain. Out of choice, man. Like, I didn't have a choice. My dad was like, now you're going to go to every single youth activity. You were enlisted. Why did you tell them that they had stuff? Did you just not know or did you not want to go to it? Uh, we, just, we didn't want to go. See, this is fun to youth group, Alex. It's like Sunday school for people who are trying to figure out how they're going to be an adult. So it's like work. Well, it's like they treat you like a, like a five-year-old, but you're like starting to shave and you don't understand what is happening to you emotionally or physically. <laughs> Uh, Josh, what was uh, teenage Josh like? Teenage Josh was awesome. I, as a teenager, especially in junior high, I was the chunky kid with glasses who no one really liked. I mean, 
even through high school, I was not one of the popular kids, especially junior high before I became a Christian. Really struggled with some depression issues that still affected me, I think, for a few years after I became a Christian. I was really inquisitive and I was very logical. And so when something didn't make sense to me, uh, I would always question it. I think I wasn't very good at sensing when it wasn't appreciated. I, unlike Daniel, was very involved in youth group Mm. and church, but it wasn't necessarily because my heart was any different than Daniel. It was more because that's what good kids did. Mm. And, you know, if you want to succeed, then you better be one of the good kids. I was very much a self-thinker. I think it came across and probably was disrespectful several times with authority and church authority and stuff like that. I don't know if any of the specifics would be too interesting, but it's kind of what it was like. Now, I know, and you can edit this out if you if you want to, but I know that you uh, received your Eagle Scout Award. Dude, I forgot about that. <laughs> no, it was good. What it taught me how to do was to manage myself well and manage others well. How to commit to doing something and finishing the job and the importance of doing that and keeping your word. Uh, Teenage Alex was a bit of a punk. Dude, I love this story, man. A little bit of a jerk. I did not like to be homeschooled. Took every opportunity I could to tell my parents that I didn't want to be homeschooled and took every opportunity I could to try to convince my friends that I was not like the the stereotypical homeschooler. I attended youth group. Uh, I liked youth group, actually. I liked my youth pastor, but I liked to argue with him a lot. And the problem was, is I was pretty good at forming arguments and stuff so i could be kind of a, a hassle you guys have ever seen the movie goodfellas that was alex and zachary turkmani yes you need to tell the story about brookback mountain you want me to tell that story on the air I really want you to tell that story on the air all right so we all know about the movie brookback mountain my older i have, an, I have a brother who's nine years older than me and he told my mom that he had caught me sneaking out to go see brookback mountain <laughs> Which was completely, completely untrue. <laughs> yes, as a parent, you can imagine the fears that you would have come up in that. Like, A, Alex sneaks out of the house. Where else has he gone? What else has he been doing? Clearly, he's good at this. And then B, why is he going to go see this movie, you know? And I had I knew nothing about it, you know? And then finally, I think it all kind of came to a head. And I was denying it and all that stuff. Then he told the truth, but... Dude, that's the worst thing you can do in a situation like that, is deny it. Why? What do you do, Dan? the guilty party always denies. Dude, I was not going to say I did it. Here's what a clean conscience will say, Alex. You can think what you want to think, but I know the truth. And you walk away, dude. But isn't that like denying it? <laughs> Baby. No. Dude, that's the postmodern approach to conflict resolution. Is that what is that what you're gonna let your son do to you, Daniel? Yes. <laughs> I cannot wait to see that. I'm so yeah, man. I get, okay, I guess I I guess I did it wrong, but I mean I ended up not getting in dude. trouble and raising the tongue the truth. So dude, I'm just gonna be like, hey, Escobar, did you do this or not? Papi, <laughs> like, it was not me. And I was like, wrong answer. Fine. You can think what you want to think, but I know the truth. Thank you. Now go to your room. <laughs> now go to your room. Bring them in the ways they should go, Josh. Dude, your kids are gonna call you Poppy. Nah, man. That'd be awesome, dude. No, dude, they're gonna call me Capitan. Capitan. <laughs> yeah, in my house. Capitan. Yeah, it's gonna be uh, Escobar, Alfonso. <laughs> I don't know if I'm gonna. I don't know. I haven't thought of any other kid names for them, but. Oh, <laughs> uh, Daniel, we want to see some little Daniels running around, man. I don't know about that, man. Got some ideas of what I want to do in the here in the near future, and dating is not even on the radar, man. 
Who said anything about dating, dude? Well, that's the first step, Alex. <laughs> Mail order bride, how old are you? I got you. I got. I understand. I understand. I watched well, dude, a documentary about mail order brides. Did you really? <laughs> yeah. Dude. Oh Josh, Josh, at this point, I feel like you've seen a documentary about Ziploc bags, for crying out loud. <laughs> dude, it was the most insane thing in the entire universe. Here's the thing. Did you know there's a huge scam where people in Russia pretend to be beautiful women, like chat with men for years, tell them they want to come to America to marry them, but they need the money for the plane ticket. The men send the money, never hear from the person again, because it wasn't a beautiful girl in her 20s. It was a man in his 40s who wants money to do XYZ. Yeah, dude, it's called catfishing. Dude, have you seen the documentary? No, has he seen Brokeback Mountain? No, it's all about this. What? You've seen Brokeback Mountain. You know all about catfishing, man. <laughs> no, dude. I've not seen Brokeback Mountain. I've hey, not. So, um, so what was college like for you, Alex? College? Yeah. Um, I mean, college is kind of like the next step, dude. College for me was like adulthood. Mm. Yeah, but, life can uh, catch you pretty fast, man. We, we can go, dude, we can go in reverse order if you guys want. I can I can tell about my adult, my stepping into adulthood. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, that that for me started when um I told a certain young lady that I was interested in her over a text message. <laughs> Dude, you were way ahead of your time, man. <laughs> Dude, I was... Innovator. Dude, I was swiping right before it was even a thing. Wow. Yeah, man. We told each other that we liked each other over the text message and then became a boyfriend and girlfriend. You know, we dated for a while and we both were just like, this is ending in marriage and started making plans to get married, got engaged a few months after I turned 18 and adulthood started coming pretty quick, started making some adult decisions, went to college, met you guys. And I remember, I remember for some reason thinking that like you didn't speak English. (laughs) Wow. Like like hearing that you, hearing that you grew up out of the country and just kind of like, how was, did you even hear about that? I don't know, dude. I just, you know, buzz around campus. Daniel, the rumor on campus your freshman year was that you did not speak any English. That was the, <laughs> can I tell how I met Daniel? Yes. Okay. Coach Weary's personal evangelism and discipleship class. He told us we had to have an ev- a, a uh, discipleship project throughout the entire semester. Thought of someone immediately. And I was like, I'm going to go after that guy because he doesn't have any friends and I'm going to disciple him. And every time I tried to talk to him, something came up or we weren't able to talk to him or I wasn't able to catch him. Daniel, however, would come to my room every night and sit on the end of my bed and say, Josh, please teach me. And he would like ask me to teach him. Like, and I was like, what do you want me to teach you about? And he was just like, anything, Josh. And he would just <laughs> ask me to talk. I would, just, I would just sit there and talk. And so this just happened every night. I just was like, okay, I mean, this is happening. So I'm going to make Daniel my project. I mean, we became good friends over the semester and I kind of just like forgot about the project until the end of the semester and decided to write up, you know, a few of our conversations for my project. And I thought, you know, what would be really funny is if I showed Daniel my three page summary of our friendship for the semester. So I- <laughs> 
and I handed it to him. I said, Hey, here it is. Thanks for the A. And he's like, what? I'm, like, I'm sure you're going to give me an A on my project. You've been my project this semester to disciple you. And uh, they, the look of betrayal on Daniel's face Dude. was one that I will never forget. That moment I, for me, I literally was like, A2, Joshua? <laughs> this dagger into me, man. Dude, I wish so, I would have had that moment. That's not how we met. That's how we became friends. Yes, that's not how we met. All right, Daniel, Daniel you tell us about how you met. It's so simple. It is so simple. Dr. Coates wanted me and Emily Soffel to write a song. <laughs> I don't know what for, if it was for his church or the student body. I am waiting in student office with my guitar. And Josh is at like, he's waiting, I guess, to pay a bill or to like do paperwork. He's waiting in the office for something. So we're sitting there and he asked if he could see my guitar. We're talking about like guitars a little bit. And then I was like, oh, I know your sister. I worked with her at this camp. It's like, oh, okay, cool, man. It was like, well, it was nice to meet you. And that's it. Didn't talk till next semester. But that's how we met. That's the real story that's the that's my truth that's the world's truth you can take that to the bank baby mm, mm, mm. hard to argue with that really hard to argue with that D- josh talk about stepping into adulthood the process of becoming an adult is not as much like getting ready for something and then doing it as it is being in a situation and making the right decision so like one thing sabrina's dad says is maturity is understanding that actions have consequences mm. and i think that that's a big part about becoming an adult I think that becoming self-aware, like you look at a kid and they're just like running around and screaming and being ridiculous. They're just not self-aware. They don't see themselves in comparison to everyone else in the room who's not doing what they're doing. But the adults in the room who have matured see themselves in light of everyone else in the room. And so they're self-aware. They're aware of how others perceive them. It's a process. Like I think in a lot of ways, I am an adult. In a lot of ways, it's like I'm still becoming an adult. Like once I got married, I was through new circumstances that required me to respond respond in a way an adult would and a lot of times I didn't and sometimes I did and now I feel like I do more consistently but I'm still not perfect and uh, the same thing happened when I had a kid like two years later I'm responding more like an adult now than I was before Dr. Goyak said uh, a man rejects passivity accepts responsibility leads courageously and expects the greater reward as I respond to situations consistently with those four things I'm becoming a man and and an adult but I think it just takes hard experiences like it takes the bank account getting really low to become an adult it takes you know your baby crying for the for the fourth time that night and you haven't gotten any sleep to become an adult like it takes experiences like that yeah like I think there are plenty of people in their mid-30s who aren't adults yet mm. yeah yeah i agree man i agree and you can look at like big moments as steps into adulthood Dan, what do you think buddy uh, there's also a different way of uh there's there's different ways of, of looking at adulthood and if you really only judge somebody by one way of judging adulthood then you're missing out because because it's a, it's a sum. So you can judge adulthood by finances. I would say a full adult, financially speaking, is somebody who has assumed all financial responsibility for themselves. So they pay their, their own rent, they pay their own insurances, they pay their own foods, so on and so forth. The other way is uh, maturity. And that has to do with how much uh, responsibility they assume. Are you now taking the responsibility to check in with your parents, not having them check in on 
on you all the time? Are you taking the responsibility to uh, save your money for yourself instead of depending on someone else to to show you how to do that? You know, are you taking the responsibility to be culturally engaged where you are? Are you taking the responsibility to provide? Um, there's a certain sense in which being single feels immature the older into your 20s that you start to get because you feel like being a full adult is getting married, having kids. So for me, the biggest lesson in adulting has been prioritizing those two things. How do I become fully responsible for myself and for other people? Because, you you know, emotionally and financially, the real conversation is, is there is there a, a like a step plan? Is there a set, you know, moral in moral indications for adulthood? Does somebody have to move out of their parents house before they turn 40 years old? Does that define adulthood? You know, I don't know. Yeah. And is it immoral if they do so or not? You know, if you bring morality into it, that would really change the conversation it's hard to apply morality to something where the scripture doesn't really like outline it for us you know if a man has a family and he doesn't provide for his family he's sinning that's laid out in scripture i think i think kind of what you're saying was was good thoughts you know like it it it, it looks differently for different people assuming responsibility you know that might come slower you know there might be like steps that need to be taken for that to happen but um i think any sort of incremental assuming responsibility is is a sign that someone is is moving into adulthood. Any last thoughts on, on adulting or, or growing up and, and kind of moving into that phase? One time, I don't remember what year, what, how old I was. Um, it might have been like my junior year in college, like going into my senior year. I think it was. I remember uh, talking to my parents one night and um, just kind of explaining to them from my perspective the, the process of becoming a man that I was going through. And um, what I was what I told them was uh, Ephesians 6 requires children to obey their parents, but requires everyone to honor their parents. And that I was going through a, a stage where what it looked, what what my relationship with them looked like was slowly and slowly becoming less and less the obey and more and more the honor and that I wanted to honor them, but that I didn't feel that I always had to obey them. And that was a really hard conversation to have, uh, but I felt like it was a really good one and really developmental in my relationship with them. Hmm. Yeah, I think... You know, if I, I, I may push back a little bit against that. Okay, man. And you can kind of see, like, if we're saying the right thing. I think that the onus is more on the parents uh, for that sort of a thing. So the parents should say, listen, until you are not in my house, you know, like, I, I do have the authority over you. But I'm going to withhold some of that to let you grow and to let you make decisions. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, I agree with you. Yeah, I I thought that you would, and I, I thought certain, what you're saying, but I, I agree with you to a certain extent. Like I'm just, I'm just trying to find a way to word what I'm saying in a way that's appropriate to air on the podcast. Um, parents who and, and keep thinking about it, par- parents who make all the decisions for their kids are just as harmful as parents who do not make any decisions for their kids. I think one thing I remember going through uh, in my, especially my late teenage years and college years, was realizing how different I was from my parents, hmm. how different I was from um 
by pastors uh, and that I was on a very different journey than what was expected of me from my peers to where, you know, I didn't go to the same university that all my friends went to and was expected for people to go to. Theologically, I was becoming more and more reformed, things like that, that uh, become really difficult, especially for someone at that age to handle with maturity and wisdom. Yeah, I don't know. What, what do you guys think about think about someone in that situation? I've had some pretty significant theological disagreements or just like discussions and uh, working things out like with my dad. And he has always done me the, the significant favor of letting me air my thoughts and mm-hmm. wrestle with them honestly and admit when he thinks that I'm right and has the wherewithal to argue against me when he thinks that I'm wrong. And I think he really, that's been for a long time. I can remember in high school even being able to uh, talk openly in that way with him, uh, which I think was just huge for my like development and my forming of ideas. I'm not a stranger to disagreeing with my dad. I think it comes from putting your relationship outside of it and saying like, listen, my love for you as my father and your love for me as 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 your son is not bound up in these uh, dis- not bound up in these discussions. So that's a given. And that's aside from everything. Okay, now let's talk about these things. And let's be honest and open. And knowing that our relationship is outside of these things, we can be honest and talk and walk away, even if we disagree, uh, still okay with each other. Like I can, I can remember times that, uh, like, as I was forming these opinions that, you know, my dad was like, yeah, I definitely don't agree with that. And yeah, I, I agree. Like he, I remember him letting me like explain what I thought and we moved on, you know, and I appreciate that. I think that's a sign of a good relationship. What unites us is more than our opinions. That's what makes, that's what makes friends a lot of times. It's like similarities like that. Uh, but what makes family a lot of times is when you disagree about some of the most important things of life, but you're still, you still love each other. I would also like to add that I think your parents, man, when you grow up, uh, when you're a kid and you're in their house and stuff, it's pretty obvious how valuable they are to you. And it's pretty like clear how like much you need them. But dude, I would say that like when you get out of the house and you, you are now an adult, dude, you still need like advice and just to run things by them and just to like pour out your thoughts to them. And like, I think it's important to remember that access that, especially when you have kids, man, like just to just be like, Hey, you know, like he's doing this now. Is that normal? And they're like, yeah, it's normal or no, it's not normal. You should look into that. (laughs) Yeah. I call my dad for advice all the time. I would say to any young throngers out there (laughs) going through the, through the mill at this time, if looking back, I've always been an inquisitive person. I love asking people questions, but looking back now that I'm, you know, paying bills and, and working and trying to figure out what to do next, ask practical questions to give you some clarity on that. Literally think about the things that your parents pay for and ask them about how they pay for it. Um, ask them about things like insurance. Ask them about things like taxes. Ask them the simplest thing. Do you guys budget? You know, with the money you get, how do you use it? Talk to me about credit card. Don't just get a credit card and start using it. Talk to people about these things before you get involved in them. Um, in high school, I did not ask practical questions. And so in college, it was embarrassing for me to see that my friends already were doing these things. And so I just jumped on the boat and tried to catch up um, out of embarrassment. 
that. And I ended up regretting some of those things that I did just because I thought, well, I'm an adult. I have to do this. And that's not true. So ask practical questions. It's not just spiritual guidance. There's a very tangible side to wisdom. And I think a lot of Christian parents in the churches that I grew up in missed that. So not because they didn't want to. It's just because they're it just no one thought to talk about that. So, yeah, man, that's that's a good uh, that's a good thought, man. And I think, you know, I think the church needs to do a better job at being practical with some of those things mm-hmm. and offering resources to people who uh, might need them. If I can respond to, you know, I think the relationship arc for a lot of families or for a lot of parents and kids tends to be when the kid is very young, they're really clingy. And the parent, for how much they love being with the kid, uh, thinks if I could just get five minutes of peace sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunate. As the kid grows up, the parent st- starts to realize that that relationship that was once there is starting to pull away. And so they start to try to cling. They start to try to grab and get that back. Those precious moments they remember with their kid when they were really young. And the child tends to push away at the parent at that mm-hmm. point. And that I think that tends to culminate throughout the teenage years. Now, if, if you're in a situation where you're starting to go to college and there are practical things that you need help with, in a, in a really real way, your parents may feel like they have tried to reach out to you to help you with those things. Mm-hmm. And the ball very much is in your court to say, help me with this. Yes, I agree with that. And it's not that they don't want to help you. Yes. They do help you. They're just from age 11 to 18, you haven't wanted help. So from their perspective, they're not sure you do now. Uh, and they would love it if you went to them and said, hey, can you help me with this? Yes, that wasn't necessarily my experience, but I yeah, I definitely see that. I mean, I think it, it, for me, it was just... I asked a lot of questions about like politics and theology and the church and music and culture, all the things that I was interested in. Um, but I didn't ask any questions that were practical and it wasn't anybody's fault per se. It's just, you know, you just, people don't think about that because a lot of our parents just learn things by doing them too. It's not like our grandparents sat down with them and had that conversation. So it's not something that people think about. Yeah. That's good, man. Good thoughts, boys. Any last ones? Could I could I offer one more? Or are we going too long? No, you're good, man. One thing I've found with life is that when you're making really big decisions and becoming an adult, is that those who oppose you are the loudest. And they will they will oppose your decisions, um, your faith over social media, stuff like that. And you shouldn't necessarily listen to the people who are the loudest. You should listen to the people who are the closest to you. Um, and I think beyond that also, I can remember like the the major decisions I've made in life, where I went to college, where I went to grad school, what church I went to, things like that. There were significant authorities in my life who, uh, not not my parents, who disagreed with a lot of the decisions I was making. I remember like looking back at like maybe like a year or two ago, looking back at that and thinking like, was that really foolish? Just not do what they said. And my wife pointed out a really good thing was that whenever I made decisions that went against what they were advising me. It wasn't like I was doing it to rebel. Doing the thing, doing those things was hard for me. And it was sad that they weren't wanting me to do it. Yeah, I think love God and do as you please is good advice for any age. Boys, it's been a pleasure as always. I want to thank you for your honesty and transparency. I want to thank the throng for giving us this opportunity to talk about ourselves. Uh, I hope you see glimmers of yourself in young Daniel and teenage Josh as uh, as we recounted these stories for you. Until next time, good night and good luck.